Well, good morning to uh, all of you. Uh, preachers rather facetiously call this, uh, call the Sunday after Easter Low Sunday because, uh, you know, you just don't see the crowds that uh, you see last week. Um, but I'm grateful that people choose to come at all. Uh, even when they come regularly on Christmas and Easter, we call them the regulars, you know. Uh, we're glad for them. And uh, we hope that we encourage them in their spiritual walk in some way. But how can you call any Sunday low when the risen Christ is present with his people? Right? That's not low. Every worship service is a little Easter. Every worship service is a witness to the resurrection. Every witness is, every, every worship service is an occasion for joy. So uh, this is not low Sunday that way. Well, uh, a few weeks ago, I began a series of messages on great questions that we find in the Bible. And we began by looking at a couple basic questions that God asks us. Namely, where are you? That is in relation to me, says the Lord. And then the other one was, where's your brother? Because there is a sense in which we are our brother's keeper. Normally, of course, we're the ones uh, with all the questions, and in fact, um, many of us are probably itching to dump a bunch of tough questions on God. And I wonder if uh, among the list of all the questions we would ask, at the very top would be the question, where were you when? Where were you when over 250 people were murdered in cold blood last Sunday, Easter Sunday, as they worshiped you in church? God. Where were you yesterday in Seattle when that crane fell off that building and killed four people? Where were you when uh, that beautiful family was taken away because of that car accident? Where were you when that eight-year-old boy who developed brain cancer died? Where were you, God, when I, my life was falling apart? Where were you, God, is inseparably tied to the question, why? Why do such bad things happen to good people? Why don't you, since you are a God of love, why don't you intervene? Now, we human beings have been asking that question of God since the dawn of time. And this is a question that has become or is a stumbling block for people who would consider the claims of faith. And this is a huge issue, and obviously I can't say everything I would want to say in 20 minutes. <laughs> I mean, that's a sheer impossibility. But one good place to begin tackling this issue of why, where were you, God? Good place to start would be the Old Testament book of Job. 
and you may know the basic outlines of, of his story. Job was a good man. He was a faithful man. He loved God. He had a wonderful family. Uh, things were going very well. He was very wealthy. But uh, for Job, life uh, began very quickly to fall apart. And uh, I love the way that, that, this, uh, that Job's life is described uh, by Frederick Beekner, who is one of my favorite authors. And, uh, and it's just a paragraph, but I think he says it really well. What happened to poor old Job? Well, Job was the richest man around, but in a single day he was wiped out. The Sabaeans ran off with his asses and oxen and slaughtered the hired hands. Lightning struck his sheep barn and burned up the whole flock, not to mention the shepherds. The Chaldeans rustled his camels and made short work of the camel drivers. And a hurricane hit with such devastating effect the house where his seven sons and three daughters were having a party that there wasn't enough of them left in the wreckage to identify. What happened next was that Job, Job, Job came down with leprosy. And what happened after that was that he cursed the day he was born. He said that if he had his way, it would be stricken off the calendar entirely and never so much as mentioned again. He prayed to die, but his heart went on beating. He prayed for the sun to go out like a match, but it kept on shining. His wife advised him to curse God and then go hang himself, but he stopped just short of that because he was a very good man and a very religious man, and there were some lengths to which, even though he was almost out of his head with the horror of it all, he couldn't quite bring himself to go. And that was the crux of his problem, the fact that he was a very good and a very religious man and knew it. Why had God let such things happened to him. Why, God? Why? So here was Job, you know, he's trying to deal with all this. How could this happen to me? When along came some friends. They came by and they tried to comfort him, trying to offer him reasons why he should be experiencing such calamity. And basically the gist of what they were saying to him was that surely, Job, you must have sinned. You must have done something really bad that really ticked God off. And now God is punishing you. Repent, and things will get better. By the way, uh, when you are coming alongside somebody who's in the midst of great calamity and trouble, what you don't want to do is follow the example of these friends and start offering all kinds of reasons why they might be suffering so. Gee, you know, maybe you did something wrong. Um, maybe you just don't have enough faith. Maybe you haven't been praying enough. Um, and then, you know, don't start spouting off Scripture. When somebody is in the throes of great calamity and is suffering, you know the best thing to do? is to sit down with them and say nothing. Just to be present with somebody in their need and in their sorrow. That's enough. So, uh, be careful. So, these friends of Job, they weren't terribly comforting. And, you know, they, they 
gives speech after speech after speech. And, uh, and again, it's something that you did, Job. And Job steadfastly maintained his innocence, saying, I don't have anything really to repent of. So it just seems so unfair. And uh, Job, tired of the speeches, he's so frustrated dealing with all this, uh, he blurts out, I cry out to you, God, but you do not answer. I stand up, but you merely look at me. You turn on me ruthlessly. With the might of your hand, you attack me. You snatch me up and drive me before the wind. You toss me about in a storm. Now, I bet we can all identify with Job, can't we? I mean, he's so darn human here. How can you let, how can you let this happen to me? You're supposedly there, God, but you're not intervening. You're not helping me. Don't you care? So Job, you know, he's feeling this, being tossed about in this storm. And then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. And he said, Who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge. Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you will answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footing set? Or who laid its cornerstone? while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. Who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb, when I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness, when I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place, when I said, this far you may come and no farther, here is where your proud waves halt. And then God goes on. Can you, Job, can you bind the chains of the Pleiades, the stars? Can you loosen Orion's belt? Can you bring forth the constellations in their seasons or lead out the bear with its cubs? Do you know the laws of the heavens? Can you set up God's dominion over the earth? So, in fact, God answers Job's questions saying, where were you when? With 127 questions of his own. If you read Job, uh, and then Job speaks, you know, out of the whirlwind, out of the storm. He questions Job, well, he gives him, a, he gives him 127 questions, all kind of starting with, where were you? And they all have the gist. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? So Job was reminded of two things. And the first thing is this. He is not God. So God puts Job in his place. What does a mere mortal know? Are you supposed to understand everything, Job? Who appointed you, Job, to be the managing director of the universe? God is God, not Job, not you or me. 
so that you and I have to let God be God, which means we have to make peace with uncertainty and live with unanswered questions. Now, some of you uh, may have heard of a contemporary Christian singer-songwriter by the name of Stephen Curtis Chapman. Uh, much of his music uh, has been inspired by and centered in his faith and, uh, and his family. But in 2008, the Chapman family suffered a terrible tragedy. Their, uh, their son, their youngest son, Will, was coming home. He was driving up into their driveway. And uh, their five-year-old adopted daughter, Maria Sue, was running to greet him. And they didn't see each other in time, and uh, Will ran over Maria Sue and killed her. And just hours before, this close-knit family uh, were celebrating the engagement of their oldest daughter, and were just hours away from a graduation party marking the, uh, the graduation of their middle son from high school. And I remember Stephen Curtis Chapman uh, appearing on a, on a morning television show and being interviewed about how he and his wife were dealing with this terrible tragedy in his life. And, and, uh, and you know, here was this Christian singer that would sing of God's love and everything. And, and so how were, they, how were they able to square their faith with what happened? And, and uh, so they were telling their story of grief and how they handled it with a view to, to helping others with this. And, uh, and I, it was very hard, as you can imagine, for, uh, for them uh, and um, sometime before this tragedy, Chapman uh, wrote a song called God is God. And the, the words and the tune must have kept coming back to, to him as he struggled with this unspeakable tragedy in their lives. And uh, so let me uh, play this the song for you. Falls like a curtain. All the things I once called absurd, and I have to say the words I fear the most. I just don't know, and the questions without answers come and paralyze the dancer. So I stand here on the stage, afraid to move. To fall, oh, but fall I must on this truth that my life has been formed from the dust. God is God, and I am not. I can only see a part of the picture He's painting. God is God, and I am man. So I'm begins to thunder and I'm filled with awe and wonder till the only burning question that remains is who am I can I form a single mountain take the stars in hand and count them can I even take a breath without God giving it to me 
like a curtain on the things I once called certain. And I have to say the words I fear the most, I just don't know. God is God, and I am not. I can only see part of the picture he's painting. So Job learns from that he is not God, and that he doesn't know the whole story. It's being like being caught up in the middle of a mystery story or the middle of a painting. It's not complete, but God will nevertheless bring our lives to a fitting conclusion. God is working out his, God, his good purposes for us. God's in control. God's sovereign. And we may not know who holds the future, but we know who holds us. So Job replied to the Lord, I, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now and I will speak. I will question you and you shall answer me. O oh Lord, my ears have heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Because God is God, God knows what he's doing. And so therefore that calls for faith on our part. Trust that God knows what God's doing. God is God, and we are not. We're not going to understand everything. So the Apostle Paul put it in his letter to the Romans, all things work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. We may not understand the whys of life, but sometimes, and sometimes all we can say is, I just don't know. But God knows. And at such times, then, all we can really do is trust him. We can bet our lives on the heart of God, and we can know that God is good. And how do we know that God is good? How do we know that God is favorably disposed towards us? Because God is like Jesus. To see Jesus is to see God. So, Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. So in the end, God does not give Job a direct answer to the question of why he is suffering so. He doesn't offer Job reasons, but God gives him something much better than that. God's own presence. Job sees him as though God was face to face with him, and that's enough. Sometimes all we need is just, all we need to do is just hold on to God in faith, trusting that God knows what God's doing with our lives. The words of the psalmist could have been uttered by Job himself. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you, yet I'm always with you. 
You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. God doesn't take away our suffering. And you and I are going to have to live we have to make peace with uncertainty and live with unanswered questions. But he promises to be with us no matter what, no matter how difficult it may be. He doesn't take away our suffering, but he fills it with his presence, and that is enough. My flesh, my heart may fail, but God's the strength of my life forever. Well, um, I'm happy to report to you that there is a happy ending to this story because uh, the Lord made Job prosperous again and gave him twice as much as he had before, and he died an old man full of years. It wasn't a reward for his faith, but it was simply a, a sign of God's love for somebody who had suffered so much. God will bring about his, God purposes, his good purposes for you and me, his God purposes for us, and our lives will come to a fitting conclusion in him. He will finish the painting, right? He will finish the story. In the meantime, we can hold on to him for dear life, knowing that he will never let us go. Nothing can separate uh, us from the love of God in Jesus Christ, our Lord. What a comfort that is. I, for one, cannot understand. I've, I've been a Christian all my life, essentially, baptized in the faith, and I've been growing in that. That presence has, has been in my life, stronger sometimes than others, to be sure. But I can't imagine dealing with the great tragedies and perplexities of life without God in my life. I don't know how people do it. It ends in despair if you don't have God in your life. Thank God there is a God and that God knows what he's doing and that God has made himself known in Christ in whose name we've gathered here this morning. Praise be to God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Lord, there's so much we don't know uh, and sometimes we demand answers from you thinking that, that we know better than you do about how to manage your universe. So, Lord, when we are overly proud, humble us. Help us to understand that we are but creatures, dearly beloved by you, but creatures nevertheless, and that you are our creator and our redeemer and sustainer. So, Lord, even as we live with unanswered questions and in all the uncertainty and the mystery of life, Help us to trust in what we do know, and that is that you are a God of love who loves us more than, than we could know, and that you promise to be with us no matter what. And in the end, all will be well. To you be all praise and glory. Amen and amen.